Welcome to I've Got a Question. Hi, I'm your host, Shira Greenspan. This podcast is a place to dive into the things you've always wanted to know. Kids like you from all over the world have been sending in their questions about Pesach. I wonder what today's question is going to be. Hello, I'm Ben from South Africa, and I've got a question. Why do we only sing some parts of the Haggadah? Huh. Why do we sing any parts of the Haggadah? Well, what are the parts that we do sing? In my family, we sing quite a few songs in Magid. At the very beginning of Magid, my family sings, Halach Ma'anya. Then we sing, Ma'anishtana, sometimes in a few languages. We sing, Avadim Hayinu. Then a bit later, Vehi She'amda. Then, no singing, no singing. No singing. Ooh, die, die, new. Ben, maybe your family has different tunes, but it sounds like we have similar experiences that we sing a lot of the Haggadah, but there's a lot that we don't sing. That's a really long stretch of no singing, though, between the he, shamda, and die, die, new. This part that starts with tseumad, mabikesh, lavan haramila, sotleyakov, avinu. That's like pages and pages of no singing. I don't think I've ever heard anyone singing Tseumad to a special tune. What is this long section of the Haggadah even about? Hmm. Oh, I see. This is where the Haggadah tells us our story of our people in Egypt. I guess we don't usually sing stories. We tell them. We share them. So it makes sense that we say this part instead of singing it. Actually, some communities and families have a tune that's used for reading long amounts of words. It's called Nusach. It's not the same thing as singing a song. It's more of um, like a tune for reading words. My Saba, for example, is from Germany, and the Haggadah reading tune that's been in our family for a long time goes something like this. You get the idea. It's kind of a tune, but you probably won't hear it on the radio. You'll never hear anyone say, Hey Alexa, play some Nusach. But what if someone doesn't have any tune at all for this part of the Haggadah, and they want to try one? How could they choose a tune? How do we decide which tunes go to which words? This is a lot to consider. Why do we even use tunes in the first place? Luckily, I've got a cousin who knows everything about music. He's not only a music expert, Craig Resmovitz is my favorite singer in the a cappella group 613. <laughs> Craig, I'm so happy you're here. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Craig, uh, Craig Rasmovitz, and uh, I live in West Hempstead, New York. Um, and uh, I have an awesome family, uh, which you're a part of, my extended family, so that's fun. Um, and uh, so what I do is I work as a singer and musician. Um, I'm a member of the acapella group 613. I also do a lot of music for events, weddings and, and bar mitzvahs and other stuff like that. And 
uh, one of the most exciting things I get to do is that I teach music uh, in a Jewish day school to um, middle school and high school students. So you know this long stretch of Torah quotes during Magid? It's a part that really doesn't have much singing. Could you suggest a tune that we could use to sing some of the words to? Okay, so I think there's a lot, a lot to sort of contend with. So my first answer is you should decide if singing these parts of the Haggadah that are, that are usually moved through pretty quickly, um, you should decide sort of for yourself and for, you know, your family should decide whether singing out loud is appropriate um, for this section. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it's not. It just depends on you and how long you want things to, to take. Uh, but definitely we tend to sing the more dramatic parts and the parts that are more, I guess, central to the direct storyline of Pesach rather than like uh, the uh, little history lesson leading up to what was going on. Um, so I do think the people who sort of, whoever the people are who decided that this is what we sing, this is what we don't sing, they definitely were on the right track for most people, probably. So that's the first thing. Wait, wait, wait but what if we decide we do want to sing a little extra? So, so if we had to have a tune, so, okay, do you, you guys may or may not be familiar with a song. Um, it's an A.B. Roddenberg song off of one of his projects, maybe Journeys, I think. Um, it's called The Place Where I Belong, and it's like this very sweet song about a kind of sad but sweet story about a Sefer Torah who was born in its shul. And it's got this really storytelling historical vibe. So I'll try to give you an example. Let me just pull up my Haggadah over here. So I didn't really prepare this. And that's kind of the point. It's just like a little, uh, a little, you know, it's a, it's gotta be like a very improvised type thing and it's not going to sound perfect, but it could also be nice. The tune goes like this. And then there, that's, there's the rest of the, the verse or the low part. And then the high part is so I'm going to try and do it. Um, I'm, it's not going to be perfect, but that's okay because we're just trying to sort of get through it, but give it a little more meaning as well. So, um, so let's see, there's a line that says, uh, right? So you would go like, and sort of just go through it fast. Next part would be, and then you might have to stretch something. And then you go to the next part. You might say varav because it's sort of like a header, so you might just say varav kimashinamar rivava kitsema chasadeh nesatich vatari vatigli vazavoli badi adayim shadayim nachonu sharech tzimeach liatorein veeria and continue like that for a bunch of different paragraphs. You could sort of go through it quickly, but there's this the the thing that connected me to this portion of the Seder the most about this melody is and maybe it's just because like the originally the melody I associate it with those English words that are really telling me a story but to me it also just has this very like storytelling vibe to it um it's kind of comforting and sweet um so that was my little idea wow I I love that you specifically chose a tune that makes you think of telling a story for the words that you know tell the story that's really cool but Craig, I've got a question for you. 
Which Haggadah song is your favorite? Um, my favorite Haggadah tune is a Haggadah tune that is from my mom's family. Uh, and it's just super, super fun. And we all get like really, really kind of uh, a little crazy. So it's got like a big hey. I don't know if anybody's heard it. It goes like this. Uh, and I think one of the most special things about the Seder for everybody is sort of connecting to their family's unique traditions. Yeah, I love Seder with my Safta, our Safta, when we sing Chadgadja in German. Ein Zickelein, ein Zickelein. Ah, just singing that makes me feel, I don't know, Seder That's probably not a word, but it should be. It's crazy how music and songs can do that. What is it about music that's so, so powerful? That's a really great question. Um, and I, you know, there's a, there are so many right answers to that. But for me, the idea that music sort of is like a universal language, I know it's kind of something people may have heard a lot, but um, you don't need words to make music really, really meaningful. Um, but at the same time, when somebody writes a tune that goes to specific words, it can they can just really enhance each other uh, and make everything more meaningful. And honestly, I mean, why do I do music? Because it's super, super fun. Uh, that's why I chose to do that instead of getting a real job. And uh, and it really keeps things lively and it really connects you to the spirit of, uh, of a holiday or any occasion. Well, music. Uh, can really, really bring a lot of fun to something that could just be sort of a more subdued experience. And I think that's really important when we're on a, a joyous holiday. So it definitely can engage uh, different people who maybe don't have so much common ground, like an adult and a kid might not want to talk about something exactly the same way, uh, but they could definitely get together and sing uh, a melody that can unify everybody at the table. The way that we respond to music, and I'm not, I'm definitely not a professional scientist, uh, but it engages more of our, of our consciousness, meaning more of our, our brain than just hearing spoken words, um, because it connects to those emotional parts uh, much more than just hearing somebody say something. And that's definitely a big part of the power of music. Well, Craig, I'm so grateful to you for sharing your power of music with us. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Avital from New York, and I got a joke. How many satyrs does it take to screw in a light bulb? Who knows? One? <laughs> so music can make things easier to follow and more fun to participate in. You know what it's like? Imagine you're sitting in front of um, a Zoom screen in class, and the teacher's going on and on, sharing information, talking, talking, talking. There's a good chance you're on the side, maybe doodling, looking at something else, reading something else, busy with something else. But imagine now that that class shifts and the teacher's now asking you questions, questions that you're curious about, sharing information in an exciting way. Maybe they're sharing a video or maybe they're asking you to go out into breakout rooms and have a discussion. That second half of the class, the one where you're a little bit more involved, is much more engaging. That's what music does. That's what music does for us at the Seder. It makes the Seder experience more engaging. We're able to pay more attention, feel a little bit more curious and interested. And if we're more curious and interested, we're much more likely to participate. 
And if we're participating more, we're more engaged. And if we're engaged, we'll participate even more. And that's the whole point of Seder night. Engagement leading to participation. I wonder what else we can do at the Seder to boost our own focus and keep ourselves engaged during this part of Magid. Oh, I know who to ask. When I have a question, my teachers have the best answers. When I was young, I had the most amazing teacher who was an expert not only in Torah, but also in making learning fun. Her name is Maura Melissa Raymond, and I think she is the perfect person to ask. Hi, Maura Raymond. Welcome to I've Got a Question. Hi, Shira. I'm happy to be here. I'm lucky to have known you for many years, but would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Melissa Raymond, and I taught um, at Yeshiva of North Jersey and Sheva High School. And I had an amazing fourth grade student named Shira, <laughs> who happens to be the host of this podcast. And about 10 years ago, I made Aliyah with my family, and we live in Beit Shemesh. And I am the director of Matan Beit Shemesh, and I teach children with dyslexia how to read English. And in my spare time, I like to think of creative ways to bring Torah to make it fun for kids and adults. Why is it so hard to stay focused during the parts of the Haggadah that have so many words and so much reading? A lot, a lot of the Seder was created, I think, to make it very experiential. There's a lot of food and back and forth. And this part is lacking that this section of the Seder. So it seems much drier compared to everything else that we do. Um, it's less memorable because there, there aren't foods associated with it or activities or, or back and forth. It's just the text. What is this section even about? So it's, it's about the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Okay, so these psukim are what someone bringing Bikurim, are part of the speech that someone bringing Bikurim to the Beit HaMikdash would say. And they would give a little history lesson. And this section is taken from the part that talks about Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's a couple of psukim. It seems very long, but it's just a couple of psukim. But what the Haggadah does is take each pasuk phrase by phrase and has a little drash about each part of the pasuk. I see that. But I don't know, it looks like it's being told in a way that you wouldn't expect. So what can we do to make this more engaging? So when... Um, trying to find ways to make this Seder more interesting. You have to kind of know your family and what people and members of your family like to do or don't like to do and how they, how they learn and how they enjoy things. Um, for example, I messed up with this once <laughs> or twice. Um, I had this great idea that during the Seder for the younger kids, they could do something fun in the corner, I would have them build pyramids. So I put all the blocks from the playroom in the dining room and I had a pretend phone on the table. And at random point in the middle of the Seder when um, when things were getting a little you know, boring for the, the younger set, I pretended the phone rang and I picked it up and I was like, Paro? Oh, sure, what? what? And I told everybody at the Seder that that was Paro and he commands us now to build these pyramids. So I said to my niece, go, go quick, go start building the pyramid. Paro's on the phone. And she began to cry. <laughs> this totally made her very, very upset. And she, she was so worried and upset. And I realized that this, it didn't work. <laughs> it 
that was a bad idea for this particular um, audience. But if people in your family would think it's fun and they wouldn't, they're not so sensitive and wouldn't get all upset about it, then it's a great fun idea to do during the Seder. If your family is musical, I know the other part of this, uh, the other person on this podcast discussed music. So go for something musical. Um, so you kind of have to know your audience. Um, so one idea that actually my brother had was, and this some, an older person can, an older person can prepare for prepare this, whether an adult or an older kid. Basically, you take these psukim and the, sec- the divided sections of these psukim and you make a picture for each one. Like one would be of Lavan and Yaakov. One would be of the Shivim Nefesh that left Mitzrayim. And you take basically a snapshot of each of the psukim or parts of the psukim. And you jumble up the pictures. And then when we're doing this, when the adults are reading the boring part, the younger people can then take these psukim uh, pictures and put them in order. There's also a deeper idea behind it that, you know, Hashem puts all of our, um, all the events of our lives in order and he has a plan for how it all goes together. Um, you can even take it further for if you want to involve older people in this uh, activity is also write down on pieces of paper um, ideas, words, attributes that have to do with each part and then put them, match them up with the pictures also. Like um, let's say Hakar Hatov or assimilation or even just the phrase that the Haggadah tells us about the phrase in the Pasuk. In other words, if he puts the picture of Lavan and Yaakov, you find the phrase that the Haggadah discusses it and match it up. That's such a nice idea. Wow. What else can we do? I guess, especially during the actual words. I know in some families, just the Seder leader says the words, but even in families where they read together or take turns reading from the Haggadah, what can we do during the words to feel more engaged? Um, One thing you can do to make it more fun is take the words from the section and make a bingo card. And for those people that aren't aren't really um, the type of people to follow text, can then whenever they see a word that is on their bingo card, they can put either a chocolate chip or whatever, you know, little tokens or whatever you want to use. And you can play bingo while you're going through this part or any part of the Seder, really. That's so fun. And you don't have to be an adult to prepare something like that for Seder, right? Like anyone could look in the Haggadah and make bingo cards for their family. What I'm about to ask may sound a little silly, but I I mean it genuinely. Why not just do the fun stuff on Seder night? Why not just play bingo and the game of putting the pictures in order? You know, we have to base it on something. That's yeah. that's our anchor. I guess the yeah. words are the anchor. I guess that's something that you could discuss at the Seder and try and think about why these words were chosen and, and not some other part of the Torah. Why the words of bringing the Bikurim? Like, what, what does that have to do with the, the Pesach Seder? And that's also something to think about. Yeah, that's really cool. I wonder, we've been often so exposed already to the Seder, it's hard to come with fresh eyes. But I wonder if like the challenge before the Seder was for each person to write the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, you have to choose, let's say, four psukim from anywhere in the Torah, um, and then kind of compare notes when you get to this section of Magid, and to just Hmm. see what people come up with. Um, Right. I feel like, especially the, the adults, maybe can't do as good a job because they're already so used to the Seder and used to the text of the Seder, but for people who are coming with fresher eyes, they can really make this into a cool activity. 
could be really fun. Right. Right. I, I, the, the freshness of the Seder is hard for adults. That's for sure. Um, and sometimes I remember as a parent, it being a little frustrating when the kids learn so much about the Seder in school and they'd come to the actual Seder and they'd be like, yeah, I learned this already, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a definitely a challenge. Thank you for speaking to us today, Maura Raymond. Thank you. I'm flattered that you asked me to join you. I hope you have a chat kasher v'sameach. To you and your whole family. Thank you. Hi, Hi, my name is Nava. We're from Muncie, New York. What's the best cheese to eat on Pesach? Mozzarella. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I have to tell you a story. Remember when Maura Raymond was telling us about how important it is to think about your audience? That the things that are fun and interesting for some families might not be so fun and interesting for other families? So that reminded me of a Seder I heard of. True story. A few years ago, a dad, let's call him Amram, was getting ready for Pesach. He wanted it to be extra special for his family. Every year they did singing, and every year they had special decorations, beautiful Torah ideas to share, and interesting questions to discuss. This year, Amram wanted to do something different. So Amram found a local pet shop and placed, um, let's call it a unique order. Yes, hi, I'd like to order some frogs. Oh, it costs more than two zuzim? Yeah, that's fine. Yes, overnight shipping, please. Thanks, Chag Sameach. You probably see where this story is going. But pause for a second. Imagine how you'd feel on Pesach night if suddenly frogs showed up at your Seder. However you feel, there are people listening right now, just like you, but they feel the exact opposite. Planning a Seder is hard. It's hard to think about what's going to make it special for each person. But high five to Amram for trying, right? Oi, want to know what happened? Okay. So Amram and his family sit down for the Seder. The table is set beautifully. The Seder plate is gleaming, the discussions are inspiring, the singing, the dipping, the leaning, but it feels like every Seder they've enjoyed before. Until they reach the part in the Haggadah during that stretch we were talking about earlier between Vahi Shamda and Dai Dai They get to the part of the plagues, the Makot. Amram adjusts his feet so that he knocks off the lid of a box that's hidden under the table. Slowly, slowly, the frogs start to emerge from within the box, hidden under the cedar table. Amram can barely contain his excitement. What a fun way to bring the makot to life for his family. What a fun way to... (gasps) It wasn't fun. It was chaos. To avoid the frogs all over the floor, the mom jumped onto the table, knocking over the wine. The youngest sister wouldn't stop crying. It was pandemonium. And in the middle of it all, was Amram, scratching his head, wondering what went wrong. Amram's intentions with these frogs was to make the Seder more engaging. To his credit, it was probably their most memorable Seder ever. Ben, your question today got me thinking about what makes Seder night special and engaging. You probably don't have frogs at your Seder like Amram's family did. You were wondering why there are some parts of the Haggadah that we sing and some that we don't. Craig and Maura Raymond helped me understand that singing helps make the Seder engaging, but too much of it, like anything, would make it feel long and boring. As we look ahead to Seder night, we need to consider what will make it engaging and special for our family. 
The story is the same for all of us since we're all part of the same nation, but the way we connect to that story is going to be unique, not just for each family, but also for each person. When I come to my Seder this Pesach, I hope I remember that every participant on Pesach night has the power to make it more engaging. The people running the Seder, the people who have been in school recently, the people who haven't. We can each prepare something for Seder night, a game, a discussion, a Dvar Torah, a show, a new tune to use. I hope I remember that music and singing can make the words of the Haggadah feel special and help us feel connected to what we're saying. All of these will help make the Seder awesome. But in the meantime, I'm Shira from I've Got a Question, and I've got a question for you. In some families, the leader of the Seder hides the Afikomen, and in other families, the leader of the Seder goes to find it. Either way, what are your best Afikomen tips? My name is David from Springfield, New Jersey, and my tip for finding the matzah is to look at your parents' body language. And if you're hiding matzah, my tip is to put it somewhere very common so no one will look there. They're just looking at the hard places. Hi, it's Nechama Danto from Passaic. Sneak behind the person who is hiding the afikomen so you can see where they are hiding it. Thank you for listening to I've Got a Question. If you've got a question, send me a voice note to podcast at korenpub.com. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions and sent in answers. I wish we could get to all of them, and we'll see you next time. I've Got a Question is hosted by me, Shira Greenspan. Thank you to our guests, Craig Resmovitz and Maura Melissa Riemann. I've Got a Question was produced by me, Shira Greenspan, with help from Dr. Daniel Rose, Greg Resmovitz, Jordan Gorf-Gorfinkel, and Arya Grossman, with production and editing from Alex Drucker. I've Got a Question is a part of the Corin Podcast Network. Thank you.